0: Welcome to One Does Not Simply, where three friends take on the Lord of the Rings and go on some unexpected journeys. I'm Wanda. I'm Navia. And I'm Ishani. This is episode 19, One Does Not Simply Be the Oldest Living Thing on Middle Earth. As always, there will be spoilers for the entire Tolkienverse ahead. So with that said, let's get to it.
1: All right. Welcome back to the pod. Uh, today we are going to be discussing chapter five of book three of The Lord of the Rings, which is the first book of The Two Towers. In this chapter, we meet an old friend again. Uh, this is the the big, big twist in this in these series where uh, our good friend Gandalf reappears. We thought he was dead, but he's back. And He essentially meets Aragorn and Gimli and Legolas uh, in the forest of Fangorn and gives them a heavy, heavy dose of exposition of basically everything that's going on in the world around them, um, catching them up to the current state of affairs and giving them a strategy to go forward. And then they ride off into the sunset on Shadowfax and a couple other horses. Um, I know that was a short chapter summary, but that's. pretty much what happens here uh and we're going to talk a a little bit more in detail about that exposition as we talk about this chapter but i guess let's start out by just like the the form that this chapter was delivered in because i think it's a a bit of a departure from from what we've seen essentially we get just a chapter of dialogue from gandalf uh and how did you feel about this guys did you feel like this was uh good strategy writing wise or was did it feel i guess to me at least it felt a lot like how i feel about voiceover and movies um so i'm curious on on your takes on it
2: what's odd about it is that gandalf gives this exegesis about what's going on in middle earth as far as the different political players but he doesn't talk about how he's gathered that information and the other part of his story is about how he spent a long time battling the Balrog and then recuperating from that fight. Um, and it's implied that he doesn't remember some basic details about the world and even about himself. So it's unclear as to how in between fighting the Balrog and rediscovering who he is, Gandalf actually managed to get like a really comprehensive view. And it's possible that we should read this chapter as The ravings of someone completely detached from the world. (laughs) Except that clearly it's intended not to be.
0: (laughs) Yeah, neither of these... neither of those parts really worked for me. And I love the hypothermia hypothesis of Gandalf was just stuck on a mountain. And so he's still dealing with some severe hypothermic after effects. He was also known to
1: be naked during that time.
0: Right. And disorientation is one of the common symptoms of severe hypothermia. But no, it, it didn't work for me. And I don't think either part worked for me for a couple of reasons, right? One is that, as Wanda pointed out, he explains a lot about what the bad guys are up to, but he doesn't tell us how he's gotten this information. And part of me feels like if this is information that he had prior to fighting the Balrog, why didn't he share it like half a book ago? Because that to me makes sense was that this is sort of something he's been thinking about and he's been kind of building this hypothesis over the information, like based on the information he already had, but then just decided not to tell anybody until now, which is very Gandalf and also very annoying. And the other part is like he gives us this epic description of his big fight with the Balrog and they go down to the depths of the earth and then they come back up to like this high mountain peak where they f- strike the final blow. And this whole time, there's zero tension because we know Gandalf survives. He's here telling this story. And so this is another instance where, like at the Council of Elrond, giving us this big, dramatic action piece in retrospective takes away all of the bite of it.
1: I I felt like the the fight scene with the Balrog read more like poetry than it did like a fight scene because there was a lot of just like very flowery description and a lot of just i don't know it was like really Tolkien. like the one time you actually give us a fight scene it's not even a real fight scene it's just it's just a poetic description of what happened after the fact
2: it sounds a little bit like if you were to put some of these pieces together it's possible that gandalf didn't actually win and he's deliberately being light on the details for that reason. <laughs> the Balrog is just, like, still there.
0: <laughs> Guys, I totally defeated the Balrog, but we never can go back to Moria for reasons. <laughs> yeah. well,
1: I think what we, what we didn't really mention and what I left out of our intro is Gandalf isn't back as himself that we knew before, right? He has transitioned from Gandalf the Grey into Gandalf the White. And um, in the process of doing this, there's some kind of description after his fight with the Balrog of like him naked floating in space and like (laughs) just a sense of some kind of magical transformation happening. And then he goes and spends a lot of time with Galadriel after that. Right. And that's when he's essentially remade as a white wizard. Um, And I got the sense that the exposition that we were getting, at least from the first part of what is going on, like, State of the Union address, uh, is basically what he's learned from Galadriel because she has, like, her mirror that she can look into and see what's happening in
0: the world. He gets transformed in a way. And something that I thought was really interesting was that the language Tolkien uses is actually Gandalf gets sent back, which makes it feel like this very temporary thing because he's sent back to accomplish something i'm trying to find in my notes uh yeah sent back but only until his task is done and i was wondering what that implies in terms of like does he finish his task and then right is what, that, what is his task being told yeah and like what happens when his task is done because we know sort of he's going to go off to the gray havens but what would have happened if he'd tried to stay well i
1: think that's now's a good time for some heavy exposition of our own about the wizards
2: uh lord drop (laughs) (laughs) we're We're never gonna get to my theory that his task was actually killing the balrog which he didn't do (laughs) (laughs) uh okay so
1: The Wizards. What the hell are they? So uh, we've been exploring some different races over the last few episodes, and so I think it's a good time to talk a little bit about the Wizards, why they are here on Middle-earth, exactly like what they're doing, and also kind of going into what is their job and where do they go afterwards. So the Wizards are what are known as Maiar, and um, they are basically one step down from the gods of this world, uh, which are the Valar. Um and they are basically sent to Middle earth by the Valar specifically for the job of removing the evil from Middle-earth. In this case, Sauron. So uh five of them are sent. Uh they have their like original names which are Olorin, which is Gandalf, um, they have Kurumu, which is Saruman and then um I don't remember Radagast's other name it's Radagast he's the third one (laughs) and then there are actually two other wizards um that are also sent to Middle-earth but basically just like wander off into the east and never come back so that's cool they totally ditched their job (laughs) um and so Essentially, they're colors, right? They each have colors. So Saruman is the white wizard. Gandalf is the gray wizard. Radagast is the brown. And then these other two wizards are the blue wizards. um, And they just peaced out. Uh, So the, the interesting thing about the colors is that like, I think when you're reading this, you get the sense that it has something to do with their power. Ishania, you look like you want to say something.
0: Yeah, no, I just have a question because I didn't know that both of the other wizards who fuck off into the East are blue.
1: Yeah, they're two blue wizards.
0: Oh, so does that uh, because that brings up questions. I had sort of assumed that it was like a one wizard per color deal. This is the first I am learning that there were two wizards of the same like rank yeah they they felt like they had been shafted as far as individual colors go and that's (laughs) why they pieced out although one of them became
2: the balrog (laughs) in my opinion blue is the coolest color but whatever yeah i'm sorry i was the warmest color for a wizard to be
1: (laughs) uh yeah so going into the color thing right you get the impression from the books that the colors have something to do with their like power level uh especially because Gandalf like goes from being a gray wizard to a white wizard and he clearly like levels up in doing so um but the actual intention I think behind the colors is more like job titles so essentially the different wizards like the different colors have different jobs so um Radagast's job is to like befriend all the animals and creatures of the forest and that's why he's the brown wizard and um it's it's kind of like a very vague uh distinction because I don't really if, if I had to describe like what is Gandalf's job what is Saruman's job like it's it's hard to say but I think essentially what happens um and this is this is a little bit of me reading into this but what happens is because Saruman essentially refuses to do what he was sent to Middle-earth to do, right? He turns, and he's no longer doing the job of the White Wizard. My impression is that Gandalf essentially takes over that position in this transformation, and he's like, now you're the White Wizard, you better go deal with Mordor and the Ring, and I think when he was the Grey Wizard his 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 like job was something like befriending all the different races or something like that uh, which is why he spent time in the Shire and all that all that jazz.
2: Does it imply that there's now a new
1: Grey Wizard? That's a good question. Um there are only 5 wizards on Middle-earth. Like they were sent specifically to Middle-earth and then getting into what you were asking Ashani, once they finish, they're just supposed to go back to where they were which is Arda Varda whichever one
0: Arda, Varda. <laughs> Arda, Varda.
1: <laughs> which wherever the gods are uh which is the same place the elves go right like when they when they sail um like
0: Ikea. yeah they go That's to
1: hella. Ikea I don't know if somebody like they would have to send another wizard to go do the job of the gray wizard which I don't think they're intending to do Or maybe one
2: of those blue wizards all of a sudden just got promoted.
1: There is a speculation from Gandalf that the blue wizards may have founded a few magical cults in the east, and that's why they didn't come back. What? I don't know. (laughs) But I guess, like, so a few things about this. One, I think it's interesting, but I also think that it's, like, so unexplained Like, Tolkien does not give us very much information about the wizard. Like, he deliberately leaves it very mystical and mysterious. And I think it's like really hard to understand exactly what's going on here because it's kind of like hand wavy magic. Like, yay, magic happened, and now Gandalf is back.
0: Yeah. I do kind of like the idea that because Saruman has failed to uphold his task, that's why he can be killed when he eventually gets killed. And that's why he doesn't get resuscitated. Because he does, right? He does, even in the books, ultimately get murdered. Um, I don't know why I said murdered. No, he gets rightfully like killed for doing bad crimes. Um, but I wonder if there's something about like because of the power with which wizards are imbued they are functionally immortal as long as they have a task to complete and as long as they sort of uphold the the rules and the expectations of their work
1: that's a really good question so there I don't want to get too deeply into this because it is kind of like way in the future but we do know that Saruman eventually takes over the Shire in his alter ego, Sharky. And, uh, like, that's literally what he's called, guys. It's Sharky. I
0: know, <laughs> uh, but I just don't like I it. know.
1: And then he's, he's with Wormtongue <laughs> and eventually gets killed. But when he does that, he's actually no longer a wizard. That is, like, his human form that is killed. And it kind of makes me think, you know how, like, the elves can be killed, like, in battle? But their, their like souls or whatever still go to the Undying Lands. Um, I feel like it's kind of like that. Like Saruman in his body may have been killed, but maybe his his spirit is still chilling immortally.
2: No, it's. I mean, it, what Ishani is saying suggests that there's like a big vat of wizard stuff. Um Somewhere out in in the in the Godlands that contains all of the capacity and the will and the skills that are needed to de- like deliver or complete a wizardly task and <laughs> what what we experience as wizards is not in fact uh, a real life sentient being, but in fact just like a uh, an amalgamation of those skills sausaged into an, an old an august body. <laughs> so I, I would I would differ with your interpretation. I, I would break with your interpretation of and I would say instead that <laughs> at the time that he's killed, Saruman probably doesn't even have a soul. <laughs> he's just sort of like a, he's like an automaton that's like kind of gone off the rails.
0: Yeah, that right. was actually my thought too, was that the reason he's human is because he stopped fulfilling the role of a wizard. And so he lost that quality of like, wizardliness which wanda has so eloquently described as wizard stuff floating around (laughs) yeah maybe i don't know i like this implication
2: that like rather than like in the harry potter world where like being a wizard is like a skill or something that you're born with like being uh like good at music it's instead like a it's it's just like a thing that inhabits you, <laughs> and you just kind of walk around doing the doing the bidding or something like that. I don't know. So Saruman oh, wait, is basically like a wizard that malfunctioned.
1: There's actually information about this. Um, uh, his it, what I what I said was kind of true about the like the spirit returning to uh, the other world, but apparently his spirit was actually barred from ever returning due to his betrayal. So.
0: So not only did he lose the wizard stuff, but the wizard stuff that went bad was, like, corrupted by association and now can't go back, is what you're telling us. Yeah,
1: basically. The, there's just wizard stuff wandering around outside the gates of the
2: Undying lands. Right, so, it di- so he becomes a ghost or something. He's, he just becomes a ghost. The ghost of Sharky.
1: There, there is kind of a, an implication that we get that Gandalf was actually supposed to have Saruman's job from the beginning. So, when they came to Middle-earth, they had, like, this wizard council or whatever, and they were appointed these tasks, and Gandalf is supposed to be the wisest of them. Saruman is the most powerful, but Gandalf is the wisest. And so, they asked Gandalf initially, like, hey, can you be the leader of this council? And he actually initially turned down that position, which is why Saruman took over. But once Saruman became corrupted, I assume they, like, re-offered Gandalf the position and he was like, okay, I guess I have no choice now.
2: While he was suffering from hyperthermia. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they, like... Can't consent! They like, eagled
1: him out of the uh, out of the cold and were like, yo, you want this job?
2: We may or may not, this eagle may or may not drop you, nude. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Depending the, on your
0: answer the to this question. Of
2: Moria. Yeah, right. And if if Gandalf had turned it down, would he also have been reneging on his duty, and would he therefore also have become a wandering ghost?
0: Mm. See, I don't think so. As long as he continued to uphold the role of the Gray Wizard,
1: but I don't know if he could have come back as the Gray Wizard because, like, he didn't do it right. Like he <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he got killed. It. <laughs>
2: yeah his job as the great wizard was basically just to kill the balrog and uh
1: yeah they were like this position is no longer available (laughs) (laughs) will you be interested in this one instead
2: yeah you've already you've already done your duty i think saruman had a pretty good run i for for he he gave up a lot but he also gained a lot (laughs) at least he at least the technicolor dreamcoat yeah yeah really really though i mean i think like the question that i'm left with is like at this point it seems like we've got two like the the wizard experiment has failed (laughs) two wizards have absconded (laughs) because they were both blue and they didn't like that and they preferred to start cirque de soleil off in the in the east um (laughs) One wizard who was chartered with, like, being the head wizard uh, attempted to do his job, and in the course of doing his job got too excited about it and decided to abscond from his post. Um, a third wizard has, uh, was, was uh, he just failed. <laughs> really the um, only wizard who
1: h- has been fully successful in their job Radicast. the whole time is Radicast, <laughs> Right. Yeah. But that's because he just, like, does his own thing and stays out of any of the, like... Battles or or anything like that. Like, what actually happens to him?
2: He goes home every night and he just... He just hangs.
0: With a rabbit. The
1: only role he had in the entire War of the Ring was notifying the eagles to find Gandalf when he was trapped by Saruman.
2: Critical! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. indispensable.
1: Indispensable! Let's go back to, like, what Gandalf actually tells us, though, in this chapter, because... So, okay, so we like i said got a heavy dose of exposition and let's talk a little bit about like what we actually learned because i think we learned some interesting tidbits about what sauron and Saruman are actually up to that make them seem less like just evil people sowing evil and malice wherever they go and more like strategic thinkers that are trying to accomplish something here um so I guess, what's, what's the best way to summarize this? Does one of you want to summarize this? Because, Rhonda, I think you just just read it.
2: Right. Uh, so, Gandalf uh, sits down at his Rachel Maddow desk, and he starts to talk about the state of play between Saruman and Sauron. And basically what he says is, Saruman has a mind to take the ring for himself and to achieve dominion over Middle Earth, his his ultimate goal is not to actually share power with Sauron, which is what he has uh, formed an alliance with Sauron under the pretense of um, his, his ideal is that he gets the ring for himself, um, and so it's 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 because of that that he originally decided to send out his Urukai um, to work with Sauron's Mordor orcs. To uh, capture anybody who could be captured, all the hobbits that could be captured from the fellowship, which happened at the end of the last book, um, and so he was hoping that they would basically take the hobbit with the ring and bring him, bring that hobbit back to Isengard. Unfortunately, as we know, Aegonir and the Rohirrim slaughtered all of the Urukai before they were able to get to Isengard, and. While, while it's revealed that Saruman kind of went to go and spy on what was up um, and to check out like what kind of progress was being made, which is why uh, Gimli and Aragorn and Legolas all saw like an old man at the end of the last chapter that was actually Saruman, um, even though he went out to do that, he was too late. The the Urukai had already been slaughtered, and so now Saruman has basically no idea um, what happened with that mission. Like he doesn't know if they were coming back with hobbits, without hobbits, if the hobbits that may or may not have been there actually had the ring or not. So that's that's kind of those are the basic details that Gandalf lays down. Did I yeah, get all of that? And I
1: think I th- yeah, I think you got the the gist of like the Saruman portion. And then I think also. One of the interesting things we learned about Sauron is what what I always thought was just like him randomly sending armies all over the place is not actually random. Um, he is... At, so he thinks basically that this fellowship, the obvious thing for them to do is take the ring to Gondor, uh, aka what... Boromir was suggesting the whole time, so sorry, Boromir, you was wrong. But he's like, yeah, they're definitely gonna do this. They're gonna go to Minas Tirith, and so he actually sends out armies specifically because he's trying to preempt a war that he thinks is already coming for him.
0: Here's a question for you two. I don't necessarily like it in books when somebody sits down and goes, "Here's what the." big bad is planning. And here's all the nuances of how they're thinking about things and their approach. Because I generally find that if I'm trying to identify with the protagonists, I think it's a better use of tension and sort of being in their shoes for them to not totally know and to be having to work at least a little bit based on guessing and assumptions. And so This to me felt like an interesting choice and by interesting I mean maybe not a great choice to just give us all of that because I think we got a lot in the orc chapter in terms of understanding that there is some nuance and there's probably some conflict between Sauron and Saruman through that mechanism of their respective parties of orcs not getting along and like clearly having some politics going on there But that, to me, felt much more effective in giving us a better sense of what's going on with these sort of dark or evil powers relative to Gandalf just sitting down and explaining it. And I'm curious if that was also your impression or if you liked this. Do
1: you prefer when the big bad describes their own plot
0: before killing (laughs) the protagonist? I love a good villain monologue. (laughs) Honestly, I think it would be like more interesting if we got a chapter i mean it would be a wild choice but if we got a chapter from like saruman's point of view i would be at least tentatively game i definitely don't like just sort of villain monologue by way of exposition
1: i agree with you in terms of the choice to just have a monologue of exposition i wasn't a huge fan of it um like the artist formerly known as Gandalf just didn't really need to give us all of this in one chapter, but I do, I did like some of the things we learned from it because it made me feel like, you know, Sauron, Sauron has always felt like a more complex character, and then Sauron has been this kind of like I am evil because evil type of type of villain. Um, and so I liked at least seeing that there is some kind of strategy going on and there is some kind of planning happening in Mordor and it's not just blanket we're gonna take over the world and make it evil um even if that's his plan it's kind of like there is some thinking going on about how to achieve that and so I did like the insight into that but I yeah I I guess I agree with you that like I wish we had learned it through other means
2: Right. I mean, the more that we talk about it, the more it seems like Gandalf is receiving this knowledge about Saruman and Sauron from the same place that he's getting his marching orders as a wizard. As in, this is like part of his job, right? He's like, this is this is my my task has been outlined to me in this briefing laid down by God.
1: Would actually so by Galadriel. It is Galadriel who decides uh, who is in charge of the Wizard Council. So. It makes sense that after spending time with her yeah also like she seems weirdly powerful for an elf like she seems more like a god type figure in this world and it seems strange that she would just be like an elf chilling here
0: yeah and okay this is sort of related but at one point gandalf says that Treebeard is the oldest living thing that still walks beneath the sun upon this Middle Earth. He said is, that about like four things at this point. Yeah, I was like, that's incredibly bizarre to me because first off, are you telling me that Treebeard is older than Galadriel? Because that just doesn't seem right. Well, but she um, could have
1: been not on Middle
0: Earth. Yeah, right. so I'm like, how but are you Treebeard counting age? But Treebeard was by elves, right? right? Yeah, so Treebeard could not predate all of the elves, and we know that... Tom Bombadil existed before like rivers, before so. trees.
1: They specifically said Tom Bombadil existed before trees.
2: I mean, I think like that. What we have to conclude is that like uh, some of what Gandalf is saying in this chapter is is taken should be taken figuratively,
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> it's and maybe just even totally him talking out his ass,
2: right? Or, or perhaps even just as his opinion. I um, think the way that Tolkien deals also
1: with like trying to describe that. A creature is very old he's just like this guy's
2: old as balls like (laughs) that's the oldest thing on middle earth as it were um yeah i mean i think at the end of the day it's like the, the plot is the plot and we should just kind of keep moving forward um with what's been given to us, but it is—I—I I do agree—it's not—it's not written my favorite way, and it makes me want to like—it it gives me like all sorts of conspiracy theories about Gandalf being mind-addled. From his, uh, can we just talk about his crazy, crazy fight with the Balrog? Um, much more metal, as described in these chapters. Uh, or yeah, do chapter, you want to give us a,
1: a quick description, Wanda, of
2: of the fight? Yeah, they go down into the the depths of Moria, which is just like a huge Hayao Miyazaki esque, like tunnel like tunnels underneath the earth that were like that were forged long ago by like ancient ancient dark things that gnaw at the earth that cannot even be described by Gandalf. Um, and the, the oldest Balrog things on living earth obviously the oldest yeah the oldest things by the way they're they're really old <laughs> older than treebeard uh, don't ask questions we will not be taking questions on these things. And the Balrog flees down one of these tunnels and Gandalf basically says I had no choice but to run after my enemy in order to get out of the mountain because I had no idea where I was. So he runs after the Balrog and the Balrog runs into the tunnels up and up and up and up and they finally shoot out onto the top of the mountain where they have their final battle and uh, Gandalf comes out on top. Also Gandalf, like he just describes their method of fighting with each other as Gandalf's basically just, he's like being clutched by the Balrog and he's just like biting. he's just biting and hitting and eventually that works out for him
1: which is great to imagine if you think of the balrog the way it's depicted like movie style because it's just made of flames so he's just like biting the flames
0: just take a big old bite of that crispy balrog (laughs)
2: yeah exactly
1: this was a scene where i felt like um i actually had a better idea of it visually because of the movies um, because if I had just read this I would have been like wait what do you mean they're in the tunnels and now on top of the mountain what are you talking about but having seen it depicted I think it's an extended scene so I don't know if it's in the theatrical edition but seeing it like where they're falling and then suddenly they're upside down and now they're on top of a mountain I was like oh this is just some magic shit okay got it <laughs>
2: Right, yeah, it's implied that they go into, like, a new dimension or whatever, which is kind of cool because, like, Tolkien does that in other ways that aren't described in the movies. Um, But I wanted the tunnels. I think the tunnels are cool.
0: It is a cool fight description, and it does beg the question of why, if Gandalf is so powerful, that he can defeat a Balrog by, like, kicking it a little bit? He let himself get stranded on top of a tower by Saruman a book ago.
1: Well, Saruman is he he went into that like not realizing it was a trap despite the like diswar that was initiated immediately. Uh so I think he like
0: You you telling me he couldn't have just bitten Saruman to death? <laughs> uh
2: Gandalf yeah, the Baby <laughs> But I, it I really wish that they had sharp teeth.
1: I really wish that that, that that scene had existed to enforce an Ian McKellen and Christopher Lee biting scene.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it is, it is a really, in seriousness, I think it is a really cool descriptive section. I don't think it works for me as an action scene, but I think as part of building out. The idea that there are things that are unknowable in this world, it works really well, right? Because you get this sense of, like, there are creatures that live beneath the surface of the earth that we just have no idea about. And there are, they fall through, like, a lake, right, at one point. And the lake is sort of this weird thing that they just... Sort of fall through and then out the other side of. Is it the
1: mirror mirror? Do they fall through the mirror mirror? Maybe
0: I don't think so. I just wanted to say mirror mirror. mirror. (laughs) The mirror mirror is on the surface, and this is like underneath Moria. But maybe it's like the wellspring for the mirror mirror. It doesn't say lake
2: in the book, it but it does say that they they fell to the foundations of stone, and at that point, the Balrog's fire was quenched, and he was now a thing of slime. Ooh well that's
1: and then gross. Gandalf bit it <laughs> yeah no I agree one I think this is like a really metal scene and I like it like in the f- in the form of if if I could imagine like a really metal song with these lyrics and then like the cover art for it is just the scene of them fighting I like it in that context I'm not sure how much it does
2: here to further plot though don't you guys feel like it would have been cool as like a, if like Miyazaki had done Lord of the Rings? Like this would be like I think he that would have done be this terrifying. really well. Yeah,
1: <laughs> we should see if there's a scene of this in Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings.
2: Yeah, we really should actually. I do think that like I mean the when you were like you were saying Ashani, like I think this is a really beautifully done scene, and I also think Gandalf's description is is realistic because if it were me like if I had gone through what Gandalf went through I wouldn't want to be describing it blow by blow later I'd be trying to forget as soon as I could
0: well and you know what I think the one thing I will say about my sort of torn feelings in terms of I think the language is really cool and I think a lot of what this scene conveys is really cool even if it doesn't work for me as an action scene is this would have been so cool to have as like a almost like a prologue to Two Towers. Like, just imagine getting this scene.
1: You mean exactly what they do in the movies? Yeah, (laughs) like
0: genuinely. Like, imagine getting this scene at the beginning of the book with Gandalf as the point-of-view character, and it cuts out when he dies or passes out on top of the mountain. So it's like we see him defeat the Balrog, and then it just basically cuts to black, and we don't know if he's survived or not. And then we pick up with the, like, the Huntsmen and their trek for the hobbits.
1: I think that would have been cool, but I think it would have taken away from, like, the twist of him being alive. Because you have to remember, like, the last book didn't actually end in Moria, right? If, if it had yeah. ended there and then this had picked up right with that, it would have made true. sense. But otherwise we would be like, wait, why are we getting this again? Gandalf must be important somehow again.
0: Yeah. Then I wonder, like, an ending to book one.
1: Yeah. Actually, I did want to uh, talk really quickly about the twist itself, because I think we've known about this for so long that I, I feel like I forgot what a good twist it is. But, you know, in terms of like classic twists of all time, like I Am Your Father style, this is a really good one where Tolkien lays the seeds really well for this to be Saruban that they're encountering the whole time. And then boom, your favorite character is back.
0: Did you? Fe- is he anyone's favorite character? What? Gandalf isn't
1: your favorite character?
0: No, fuck him. <laughs> yeah.
1: He's not my favorite character, but he's definitely, like, a favorite character.
0: I mean, he's not, like, my least favorite character, but... <laughs> Anyways, I'm sorry, I digress. I mean, uh, no, mean, your favorite character is Shadowfax, but... <laughs> i agree that it's it's definitely a pleasure to
2: have him back especially given that aragorn has been slacking a little bit in his leaderly capacity
1: i i remember reading this for the first time and and feeling like really warm when he came back about like yay you know because i really wasn't expecting it and so
2: i don't know i thought it was well done yeah i thought it was too he really plays them he really like strings them along for a while
1: yeah because he doesn't really know who he is right like he's well his,
2: his brain is so full he's like he's like super politic brain now and he's forgotten who his friends are uh a lesson perhaps for many of us um but he um yeah he like they they have to remind him that that Gandalf is his name or used to be his name and he's like oh yeah that used to be my name and they're like you're Gandalf we'll just keep we'll just keep uh Yeah, he's
1: basically, they're like, we thought you were Saruman. And he's like, I am Saruman. (laughs) And they're like, okay, but you're Gandalf. And he's like, yes, I'm Gandalf.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think I liked this twist. I can imagine that I liked this twist better when I read this book for the first time. Because I did not like it that much this time through. And I don't know if that's because I... I didn't feel the impact of Gandalf's death for reasons previously discussed on the pod, right? I thought the whole like grief and mourning around Gandalf's death was kind of weird. So I didn't necessarily feel the impact or the loss of him as strongly this time through, but I also found myself very frustrated well, okay, mostly confused and a little frustrated with the continual about faces on the who was the old man they first encountered in the woods, because it's like, oh, we think it might be Gandalf, and then it's like, oh, it might be Saruman, and then no, it, it seems like it's implied that it's Gandalf, and no, it's actually Sar. and that happens like four times in the last couple of chapters, and I just sat there going, why? Like, this felt excessive. And then Gandalf shows up, and he's needlessly cryptic. And yes, okay, he says he doesn't remember who he is, but that's no call to be dropping ominous statements and sounding like you're Emperor Palpatine from Star Wars. Right.
2: Yeah.
1: I had similar feelings about that scene with the old man in the woods, because it was like, what is the point of this? Like, it's such a throwaway scene when it comes down to it. Other than the horses running off, it really has no impact. And it's kind of like, what is the point of giving us this runaround if the scene isn't important? How does it matter that it was Saruman now? It doesn't.
0: (laughs) Well, or even like, they could have use that to set up the possibility that there is some mysterious other player who isn't Saruman leading up to Gandalf's return. But the constant flip-flopping made that really hard to buy into. Just Tolkien trying to make Saruman happen in some way. <laughs> yes, exactly.
2: for readers.
0: Yeah. And I don't think, you know, when I talk about sort of Gandalf showing up and making cryptic statements, what I really mean by that is, if you don't know who you are and you don't really recognize these people, but you're trying to have a conversation with them, wouldn't you approach strangers that you've chosen to start this conversation with in a more... Right, not sociopathic way? Yeah, like it, you're trying to get these people to not immediately attempt to murder you and what you've done like right off the bat is put some sort of magic on them that makes them drop their weapons and like make some vaguely threatening statements do you guys want to
2: do you guys want to wrap it up with a quick fire round my my contribution is just a list of things that reminded me of a cormac mccarthy novel in this chapter (laughs) um which is horses uh slime uh stone foundations of stone tunnels um really long sentences with too much punctuation uh a road more horses and no women at all <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you uh you nailed it
0: <laughs> yep yep i mean we never need to read another cormac mccarthy novel again because that's just that's it right there yeah um, i just gave you the cliff notes i i I had some thoughts about Legolas this chapter. Um, oh, I have a thought about Legolas too. Wait, but you you go, you go. Yeah, no, this is my quick fire, Wanda. Jeez. <laughs> um, no, so my thoughts were sort of that uh, A, Legolas and Gimli are adorable. Gimli being like, you're weird, but I like you, so I will follow you if you decide to do this thing. So cute. But also, <clears throat> Legolas talks about how Old he is at the beginning of this chapter <laughs> and it's just this really weird moment of dissonance because he does not come across as like mature in almost any way aside from being like yeah I'm millennia old and you all are children compared to me and it's like but you don't act like it my dude. I like that it, it's sort of, like, youthful the way that he
2: he he is old, but he only mentions it to, like, own other people, which is a very, like, young guy kind of thing to do.
1: It's also yeah. really funny in the context of Aragorn being like, but I'm, like, 87! I'm so old! And, like, Legolas and Gandalf are just like, what are you talking about, Doc?" <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, but then I also liked Legolas's little message from Galadriel at the end because she talks about like oh your heart will shift or something right like you're gonna lose your heart and he interprets it as being about death and to me it was very clearly in this chapter that starts out with Legolas and Gimli being friends that it's uh, talking much more metaphorically and he's interpreting it very literally which again feels like a very like young guy kind of thing to do he's not sort of wise in interpreting this with nuance he's like ah, she's talking about my heart she must mean my literal physical heart
1: also it's easy to forget that he's old because orlando bloom is a damn child
2: (laughs) okay this is what i was gonna bring up i was like thinking about i was thinking about the movies the other day and i was just thinking about how critical orlando bloom is to the movies just how different they would be if he was not in them. And there's, like, a few different people that you can say that of, sure, but guys, can you imagine if Orlando Bloom was not in LOTR? If we did not have a smooth-faced young English hunk in, in Lord of the Rings in a completely, well, not completely, but at least significantly, like, jarring role (laughs) where he doesn't really look like he belongs. Like, if you, like, they make him work, but if you didn't have him there, the vibe of the movie would be, like, completely different.
0: You know, but Orlando Bloom, I think, was really the perfect cast, like, casting choice for Legolas, because I think if this chapter and our experience with him so far in this book tells us anything, it's that he is one of those people where it's, like, head empty, right? There are zero thoughts in this beautiful, beautiful brain. And Orlando Bloom manages to pull that off and still be, like, relatively charming about it, as opposed to many of the other, like, beautiful British actors who... Can pull off head empty but then are like total cardboard
2: i completely agree yeah if you like there's there's really not a lot of personality there to work with and so you have to you, you have to make these movies at a time and in a place where there's like a there's like at least one there's at least one actor who can make being completely empty-headed charming and I can actually, like, it's not that there's nobody other than Orlando Bloom. Like, I can, like, I think anybody that was in the band The Eighteens would have been okay to cast in this role. Um, and maybe, like, Josh Hartnett or, like, Aaron Carter. What if you put Aaron Carter as, as, as Legolas? as <laughs> thought that would have worked too. Letting
1: your love of Orlando Bloom cloud your judgment here because <laughs> I totally disagree <laughs> with this. I mean, I I kind of get it. Like, I think he is kind of the perfect, like, empty headed person to play this role but every time i watch the movies, like all i can think about is how bad at acting he is like he's just not good at acting and it's not really about like whether he's playing like the head in the clouds type of character or not so much as i'm just like you're bad you're
2: not good no i agree but i think i think a lot of the actors in lord of the rings are not doing the best job at acting but really i i think i don't think he's the only one I think most of them do a pretty phenomenal job.
1: Maybe I don't know.
0: Mm. See, I don't know that I. I think I'm more on Wanda's side of who, the argument. Who else here. is like
1: bad at acting?
0: Elijah Wood. I don't think Elijah I'd, Wood is is okay. that good.
2: Actually, like just to, I, I guess I guess altering my altering my line of defense a little bit. I think it's more that like the he is. Like a like Orlando Bloom being in the movie is just like a shameless like plug to take the movie seriously based on like hotness alone. <laughs> um like you have to keep watching this. You have to keep like have you guys ever tried to watch like a fantasy movie like like The Beastmaster or whatever, like fantasy movies like made a few decades ago. They're unwatchable because there's no crawl. hot people in them. Oh god.
0: Which I think we yes, may have crawl. all watched together. I feel like I,
1: a lot of the time, I say that I really like the the fantasy genre because I really like Lord of the Rings, but the reality is, like, there's a lot of other just sheer garbage in
2: it. Yeah, most of it, most of it really struggles. Okay, I guess you guys, like, said a lot of what
1: I was gonna say for my quick fire, so I'll just put in a little random thing that I noticed here. Um, I had this, like, weird moment where legolas is talking at the beginning of the chapter uh when they're tracking down what happened to the hobbits and he- they're talking about you know oh here's where they like stopped and there's crumbs and they must have eaten something and then legolas says oh yeah they must have eaten whey bread and i thought that was really odd because legolas is an elf and we now know the elven word for this bread it's lembas so what is tolkien doing making like legolas not use his own race's word for a thing that we are familiar with even though he randomly speaks elvish all the time in other contexts and we don't know what's happening i this just felt like a really odd choice to
0: me for a linguist to make um legolas forgot that Gimli and aragorn know what lembas <laughs> is
1: and then oh yeah aragorn like a few sentences later says lembas yeah I, I don't know, it just struck me as, like, a really odd, like, I feel like this isn't the only time this has happened, where he's just kind of not consistent in his own use of the yeah. things he's created, and so it made me feel like, you know, uh, one of the things that we admire a lot about these books and this world and stuff is, like, how much thought and how much planning he put into a lot of it, and so it's, like, kind of jarring to see some of this stuff where it's just like, oh, like what? (laughs) Dude, be consistent with your own world creation.
0: This is the 40 miles underground through dark and craggy tunnels in three days. And hobbits can definitely jump seven feet.
1: Yeah, but I had already arrived at the conclusion that he just doesn't know what distances are. Right. But this is supposed to be his thing. This is his thing. Yeah. I don't know. But There's
0: that story, right? Of like, um, his son, tells or told a story about how when he was getting the hobbit told to him as a bedtime story that he would sit there and go but dad yesterday you told me that the door was blue and tolkien would go oh damn and like hurry over to the (laughs) desk and cross something out and scribble it in so i don't think there's I think world-building is something that, in general, he does really well, but I don't know that consistency is, and I don't know that consistency has necessarily ever been something that he does super well. Hard to say. Anyway. We can put it in our goofs file. <laughs> Thanks for listening to One Does Not Simply. This episode was edited by Navia. You can find us on Twitter at ODNSPod and Tumblr at One Does Not Simply Pod. Special thanks to Andrew, Sneha, and all our listeners for joining us on this journey. If you like what you hear, give us a rating or a review on whatever platform you listen to.
1: Okay, one. (laughs)
0: Or just I, sometimes I think said just like just book 3. Oh guys. <laughs> We're a train wreck.
1: Why did you just put something in your mouth as we started recording the podcast?